I joined on deck, I had 150 person cohort. You know, we had, um, I, I launched this thing now. We had like 40 people sign up just from an email list and I had zero, zero, zeros all across the board a year ago. Right, so like Twitter was like a hundred percent the 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 central node in that whole thing. So I'm like constantly in this battle now as well of like how much do I want? And I've got to basically still package as part of the course. Like, what do I want to tell people to do on Twitter? And you know what I'm actually getting more and more towards is that okay, you need you should be publishing pretty constantly, but like don't over engineer that i i went down that road it's just like it's a hamster wheel and you will hate yourself for it very quickly um but but get get consistent like do put stuff out there share your thoughts basically share what you're learning be you know be providing value and then but i think that the real key is the connection stuff it's it's like it's in the it's in the in the replies it's in the dms it's following people's accounts and find and being intentional about finding people who are interested in the same things as you. Because if I don't, I'll forget. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's no kind of intro. I'm I'm not gonna big you up or anything like that. We'll just start cool. having a conversation. The thing I wanted to mention there just before I hit record is yeah. that I have a bet, and I've said this on many podcasts now. I have a bet with podcasting that podcasting is gonna continue to rise. Obviously, that's not a big bet, but I think mm-hmm. the kind of podcasts that are gonna rise more and more and more is the free form conversations where people are you know what just having a conversation how mm. how revolutionary is that but mm, mm. at this point you've probably been on quite a few podcasts right mm, how often have you actually been on a podcast where you've just had a conversation with somebody yeah very rarely and those are the best ones yes how, how often do you actually turn up and they say right my my audience is this and, and these are all the questions and i'm gonna rattle off these questions at you one after one after one and yeah. do and do no follow-up and get no interesting insights out of you whatsoever yeah it's just sound bites yeah yeah not a fan and yeah. then and then what do they get turned into they get turned into threads on on twitter <laughs> <laughs> exactly and then you we, yeah we end up with this kind of big big old circle jerk of content yeah I, I wrote a substack about this the other day about a big content pyramid scheme that <laughs> it, it, it is it is though isn't it isn't it you yeah yeah you end up with nothing you end up with no meaningful insight whatsoever yeah and yeah, I, no totally and i can tell you're kind of you think a little bit like this to me because you don't endlessly tweet do you no, I did for a bit and I just couldn't, I hated it. I couldn't keep it up. What did you hate about it? I mean, it felt like I had to, it felt like I was on a treadmill. Yeah. Like I had to just keep doing it and keep doing it and repurposing stuff and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. Just, yeah. I'd, I'd rather like be inspired and then just burst out a whole bunch of stuff and just go like that. Yeah. I, I think, Twitter is both amazing and really annoying. It is is like both the devil and the god. Mm. Um, 
because if you feed the machine constantly, and I'm thinking of, you know, somebody like Jack Butcher here, if you, mm. if you feed the machine constantly like he did for a year, you end up with such a huge audience that you can then turn it to something that you actually care about. Right. But you have to forget yourself for a year. Yeah. To be able to do that. And I think you're probably a little bit like me in that you just, you can't stay on that treadmill for long enough to reap the rewards. Yeah. It's boring, right? It's just boring because you get typecast as like this type of thing and then you have to keep doing that type of thing. Yes. Which is, which is kind of good. Uh, good to be typecast, but also incredibly boring to make content like that. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I think we're I think we're very similar in that in that respect. So so what so what's the middle ground for you then? Um, are we recording by the way? Yeah. Are you recording? Yeah, I'm recording. Oh, yeah. I'm just not recording through Zoom. Oh sweet. Okay, cool. Sorry. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Um, I'm yeah, stealth no, recording. Ground. I'm stealth recording. Yeah, that's sneaky. I love it. Um, no, so middle ground. That's a great question. I think the middle ground for me is like sharing what you're learning so that it's authentic this is and this is recent by the way like i've just started like getting into more like this so sharing what you're learning and then every now and then doing research into something that's super interesting and like putting a bit more thought into a thread that feels like the balance and maybe that's like once a week um and because you have a podcast i have a podcast i did a bunch of those uh, uh sessions for odcc I have a gold mine of content. So I just go back and listen to a conversation and just like come and like take notes basically. And then just put that into like a thread or a blog post or an atomic essay or whatever. And that can be like my one big sort of contribution for the week uh, or, or creation for the week. But then otherwise, like now it's, I do a lot more for my phone now. I used to use like typefully hype fury and all those things. Um, like constantly, and now I, I do it very rarely. You prefer to be more in the moment and make things like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I used to think, I mean, I think we might have talked about this. I used to think strategically about how often I would post, when I would post. I had like different slots during the day, and I'd try to fill up all of those slots all the time. And I just stopped doing that now. It's like if I have something that's good, I'm going to publish it right away. I'm not going to schedule it. Um, I still schedule every now and then, but very rarely. I just rather push it out there. I, th- I think it kind of depends what your goals are. I think the the cream will always rise to the top. If you are making something that's useful yeah. or valuable, and I hate that word, and usually on my other podcast, by the way, Andrew, when I say valuable, I usually go like this. Valuable. Um, <laughs> when, when you make something that's good, it will rise to the top. So you don't need yeah. to really be that bothered about when you post it or things like that. But the only thing that posting regularly does is feed the algorithm, which keeps the potential for you to, for your content to be uh, pushed out there. That keeps mm. the potential high. But then when you step off that treadmill, you quickly realize that the algorithm doesn't like you anymore. So you're in this kind of constant battle of trying to publish regularly and also write good things and make good mm. things and not completely give up to the algorithm. It's a damn tough place to be, especially when the kind of people that you're working with, with cohort-based courses and things like that, 
Mm. It, it that feels like Twitter feels like one of the natural places to market a lot of that stuff. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm going through this exact thought process now because I've just launched a course, a self-paced course, and a big part of it will be Twitter. But the sort of community part of the course will actually be on Twitter, and I want to encourage people to build in public on Twitter because I've been using it intentionally for only a year and. I mean, I like I I joined on deck. I had 150 person cohort. You know, we had um, I, I launched this thing. Now we had like 40 people sign up just from an email list, and I had zero zero zeros all across the board a year ago, right? So like Twitter was like 100 percent um, the 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 central node in that whole thing. So I'm like constantly in this battle now as well of like. How much do I want? And I've got to basically still package as part of the course. Like, what do I want to tell people to do on Twitter? And you know what I'm actually getting more and more towards is that, okay, you need, you should be publishing pretty constantly, but like, don't over-engineer that. I, I went down that road. It's just like, it's a hamster wheel and you will hate yourself for it very quickly. Uh, but, but get, get consistent, like do put stuff out there, share your thoughts, basically share what you're learning, be, you know, be providing value. And then, but I think that the real key is the connection stuff. It's, it's like, it's in the, it's in the, in the replies, it's in the DMS, it's following people's accounts and find and being intentional about finding people who are interested in the same things as you. That's like, to me, is like, it's, it's like, it's, it's the stuff that doesn't scale, but it's so high leverage. Cause you can find that, that one person, they're not, they'll, there'll be one in a follower account, which is not going to get you very far, but that one person could be a partner. It could be a, you know, a business, um, a customer. It could be like, there's just so many high leverage things that come from building a relationship with someone. So I think that's where the focus should be. I a hundred percent agree with you. I was in the same situation. I had about 600 followers or something when I started taking Twitter seriously in February, 2020, um, mm. which is a little over a year now. And I, and I had no kind of audience or any of that kind of thing, no connections. I'd never used it for any of that kind of thing. And my focus initially was to take Twitter seriously. That was the simple thing that I was going to do, write 10 tweets per day, um, worry about publishing. Yeah. And the networking thing never came into my mind early on. Yeah. And then, I started to realize that I was making these cool connections. We met on Twitter, you, you, you know, um, it's yeah. en ended up ultimately leading to this podcast, but I, I came into one of the courses that you were running and I gave yeah, a, workshop. a workshop. Yeah. And, yeah. and that kind of connection has led to all other things with the same kind of thing that we did together with lots of other people. But mm -hmm. I think if I would have, if I would have never have stepped off that hamster wheel, like you said, I would mm. have never have realized those value of those connections. Cause all I'd be doing right now is I'd be, all I'd be thinking about right now is right. Uh, I've got, I've got Andrew on the podcast. I, I need to get a good thread out of him. So we're going to talk about right. these things. Um, right. all I'd be doing is instead of talking to you, I'd be trying to mine you for everything possible mm. to promote essentially the next guest coming on my podcast mm. um, yeah. without focusing on the connections. And th that's the balance, isn't it? That's the difficult thing, especially if people are coming to your course and you're trying to tell them the right way of doing this. Um, yeah. For me, I think the right way is is be, be human, share what you know or what you don't know, what you're learning, like you said, and yeah. 
and make the connections. Just just meet people. Uh, yeah. I don't think there's much more to it. It's it's the difference between in the context I'm thinking of, of having a course on how to do Twitter and versus like how to use Twitter for an, another objective, an ultimate, like a, a, broad, a bigger objective. And like that whole hamster wheel thing and all that, that's how you beat the, the or beat or leverage or make use of the algorithm. But using Twitter as a tool for whatever else you want to use it for is a, it's a totally different skill set. And um, it's a lot less, it's a lot less frustrating. It's a lot less annoying. It's yeah, it's actually just an incredibly untapped resource, I think, for people who are not on Twitter. It is because the amount of times I've had conversations with people like what we're having now and we get off the Zoom call and they go, you know what, Craig, you're exactly like your Twitter profile. Yeah, and yeah. That That's ultimately, it, to my eyes, what anybody would want from, from their Twitter. It, it's like yeah. the, the, the ultimate business card almost, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's like this mm-hmm. live business card that shows somebody, they just scan a couple of your tweets, they can instantly mm-hmm. see if you are serious or, or funny or stupid or any of those things. All of the above. Yes. <laughs> yeah. like, with yeah. me, all of the above at the same time. But they, <laughs> they, they can instantly see it versus, versus yeah. this kind of um, almost sanitized Twitter that some, some people try to promote purely yeah. to get more followers. Yeah. And I bet you at the end of a lot of those calls as well, because like you have a design agency, you, you have communities, you have courses, you have a bunch of different things. You probably also leave those calls to having just had a great conversation before with like, Oh, we should collaborate on this thing, or we should think about doing this together. And like so many different opportunities and ideas come out of that. And it's from, it all happens in the conversations, not in just publishing, publishing, publishing. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of just approached when it when it came to doing stuff online. I approached it the same way I've always approached offline connections, which was mm. just having chats with people and getting to know people, and always being open to working with somebody on something. In mm. in my industry, particularly in the design industry, uh, I mean it's the same as a lot of industries, really, but. A lot of a lot of people in our industry are very closed to opportunities because they see you as competition. Yeah. Um, so they'll never talk to you, or they'll, they'll never even the possibility of collaboration is just it's not even an option. They're just looking at you to find ways uh, to basically nick your ideas. So yeah. I, I've never tried to approach it like that. You know, it's the old abundance mindset versus you know that kind of stuff. Scarcity. Yeah. 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 And that that's worked amazingly on the internet for me because people are way more open on the internet. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about this because this is I I always think I often think about this this idea of like positive sum games, like everything that um, there is no like first of all that there are no totally new original ideas out there. Like everything is a remix, is a repurpose, is like you t- taking seeing patterns and things and putting your own spin on it, and that's what makes it unique, and that's what makes it actually non-competable because it's it's your take on it um and then the positive something is that this is this pie is only growing i mean we, we were talking about nfts earlier like that's an example but just so many different industries like the course creations one i think about all the time it's it's growing and growing and growing and the more the more you have that collaborative growth mindset like you said the more the whole space grows and those that are like adopting that mindset grow with it 
Mm. I, I, com- I completely agree. I, I've, I have seen it most viscerally recently within NFTs um, mm. because already, and I see it a lot in podcasting too, already people in NFTs are like, you, you can't launch a connection, uh, a collection now. That it, it's already yeah. the hype's gone already, and, and th- this is this is not point not one version, not point mm. not one of NFTs, um, yeah. and people already think it's gone. And this the same with courses and things as, as well, um, and e- even the same with design agencies and and stuff like that to some extent. And mm. communities, everybody always says the same thing. I completely mm. agree. Every time anybody says that to me, I'm always thinking, no, there's always room for you. Yeah. And I always think about that with podcasting most most obviously because everybody always says, oh, there's two million podcasts now. Um, there's, there's, you know, nobody needs another podcast. But if, if you haven't made one, then there's always room for your podcast, right? Because your, yeah. your voice is not on a podcast yet. Um, yeah. and I think the the same goes with a course. If you haven't made a course, then there's room in the market for your course because you are different to everybody else. And the, the same with Twitter, and the same with, with with all of them. Really, I don't understand the competition thing at all. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I just by the way, I just wrote down which this thing you said. Yeah, there's always room for you. I think that's such a powerful sentiment. Um. Yeah, I mean, just to build on that, like uh, in the course world, I think of it as unique teacher identities. Like a lot of people teach a lot of the same things, but learning from someone is an intimate experience. And so the teacher's identity and personality and just vibe is so much, is so entwined in the content. And this is like a a bit of a trope now, but the the mental model, you know, um, uh, it's called the um, map is not the terrain, you know? So the content is, like the content's kind of, you, you can get it for free on YouTube, honestly. It's what the, how the teacher delivers it and how they weave their own soul almost into it is what makes that special and unique. And that's what people are signing up for. That's what people are learning from. And, and, and yeah, like, I think you're right. I think it applies to podcasts and digital art collections and just, I mean, anything basically. How, how often, here's a question then, in terms of the courses stuff, how often do you think it's people that are signing up just to see the person they've signed up to rather than learn the things that they want to learn? I feel like you've been listening to my conversations over the last two weeks because <laughs> that's like, that's exactly what I've been thinking about a lot. Like, yeah, I mean, people, you take like uh, Rite of Passage, David Perel. Right? People are signing up for that to see how he goes about what he does, how he delivers his course, but also how he, the sort of behind the scenes stuff that he's sharing about how he creates, how he writes and publishes and like, and I mean, that's just one obvious, like sort of big example right now, but this, I see that I think in every single course grade I've worked with that, that, and I, I do it as well. Like I'm, I, you want that, like you pay for access. In a, especially in a live course, right? So you're getting that you want to see even actually in a self-paced, I signed up for Eric Jorgensen's um, course on leverage and he wrote the Naval, you know, the Valmanac and just a very interesting guy tweets like incredibly well. And I signed up for the course. Cause like, I want to like peer into his mind, you know, sort of see, you get like a bit more of an insight into, into how he thinks in that. So yeah, I think that's such a, such a key point. And that, that's that's a little bit of the problem, isn't it? When you get sucked into the not just the Twitter hamster wheel, but any kind of hamster wheel like this, 
if I say, right, I need to tweet 10 times per day, I'm going to look to the way other people tweet and I'm just going to replicate them. So every time I try to continue creating content for content's sake, I remove my personality from everything that I'm doing. It's not just Twitter, it's anything that we could do. And then Mm. when it comes to making something like a course, which is incredibly personal, Mm. well, nobody knows who you are at that point, do they? Um, and, And then... You know, all of us are teaching the same things, essentially. I, yeah. it's, it's rare that somebody comes along wanting to teach something unique, is it? So yeah. if I was to launch a design course tomorrow and I'd never shown my personality online, nobody would buy it. Nobody would care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just got off a thing now um, with a bunch of course creators, actually, and this is just like a perfect example to footnote what she said there. It's like, it, this person's teaching essentially like psychological safety, like, uh, you know, how, like it's a lot like productivity, probably personal development type stuff, but it's framed in, this is the most unique one I've heard in ages, ancestral matriarchy. So like ancestral wisdom, wisdom from from the the matriarchal, uh, sort of lineage, I guess. And it's like, yeah, I mean, cool, great. Like credit to, to them. Like they've got that. That's a very unique spin, right? That's going to appeal to a lot of people and it's going to not appeal to a lot of people. And that's yeah. kind of the point. Yeah, I was going through this when I was, I, I did Justin Michael's 10X Creator course. Oh, uh, brilliant, yeah. A couple, couple of months back. And maybe we'll get to talking about this, but I want to footnote it by saying cohort-based courses are not for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anyway, as a student or, or as a teacher? No, Justin was great. The course was great. I'm not saying anything bad about the course, but yeah, yeah. the way that I am, I just don't jive with with that kind of learning um, environment. I, yeah. I, I'm I'm kind of a a guy who, who jumps into things, wants to do things very quickly, wants to break things and get in and out. The cohort based course is slowed down, and it's. It's about bringing everybody along for the journey and and meeting people and doing exercises together. Basically, what I'm saying is I'm quite a selfish individual learner. So, <laughs> I, well, I, and I think a big part of that is you you have had no problem taking action. You set yourself these ambitious goals and you go ahead and you do them. You crank out those ten tweets a day and all the all the things you've done, and that's a big part of what those courses help people who, who don't have that yeah. discipline, drive, uh, you know, all those kind of things um that's what yeah that's so the forcing function elements i guess yes but the thing i was going to say the course was great Mm. and i was trying to work out what course i was going to make because Mm. i went into the 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 process knowing what i was going to make so i'd just written the magic visual and i was just about to release the print version of it and it was all going to tie in and i was going to make a course about the magic visual so Mm -hmm. i had it all in my mind this is what i was going to do and then I, sp- I spoke to Justin about it a few times and Justin was pushing me to make, I can't remember the wording that he used, but it made me completely see this in a different light. He was pushing me to make the course that kind of um, shows me, uh, you know, shows my personality. So my own personality, my all my experience kind of diluted into one course. So mm. not just make another course, which the magic visual would have been, it was trying to push me to find the things that make me unique and sell that instead. Mm. So mm. If, if you think of something um, 
like Eric Jorgensen's course, uh, mm. that's kind of uniquely Eric. And um, something like Jack Butcher's course is the uniquely Jack Butcher because it's th- it's the way it's his experience distilled, and that's the way he he learned the things. Yeah. So he pushed me to do that, and I was like, "Well, the, the magic visual is not right now. That's just a a thing I do." Yeah. Uh, and it took me ages to work it out. Um, but I, I was trying to work it out and I went through so many iterations and then eventually I got to the end of it and thought, I ended up coming up with this name, The Prolific Creative, that was going to mm-hmm. be and still is the course I'm going to do at some point. Who knows when. Um, and the whole idea for the course was to teach you how I am me. Um, yeah. How I do all these things, because it's the thing I get asked all the time. Craig, how do you do everything that you do? How, you know. So the mm. the course is about basically how to be prolific and how to link all these things together and not lose your mind and not spend all your time on your computer. So the underlying mm. level is that. But really the way I dressed it up is um, I've got the landing page kicking about somewhere still. It's kind of old school. The design of it's really old fashioned. Um, it's kind of like a 1920s style. And mm. it's it's about teaching you the life, the art, and the understanding have been prolific. So it's kind of like foundational knowledge. So the whole style of it is very different to any other course that's already said this kind of information. Probably even some elements of it would be in Eric's course about leverage. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. But yeah, it took me a while, you know, just what you were saying, it took me a while to work out that kind of distillation of personality into a different medium. That's the thing that's really hard, I think. It is. It is. And just to just to say about Justin Michael, I mean, that is like his gift. Yes. He is so, so good at that. I've I've been fortunate enough to work with him a little bit on the course I just launched and and he just creates like just like little unlocks for you, right? That just like just then things just flow from that. Um I also this might be interesting to you. So I, I feel like the course I'm I'm building now, which is it's called course of action, is a similar idea. It's like okay, this is how I did it. This is what I've been doing over the last year, basically. You can do the same thing too. And and my thing culminated in a 150-person course for on deck. Um, and, and so so this is the, the thing that um, I was not, I was, I was putting it off. I was putting it off, putting it off. And I was going to launch a community first. It's going to be like 20 bucks a month, whatever. And I had like written all, everything ready to like launch this community been put, putting it out to my email list. And then the weekend before I get on a call with Robbie Crabtree and Marie Poulin, my business partners in a different thing. And they're like, don't do a community. It's going to be so much more work than you, than it's worth. And, and, you know, so, and then right after that, I got on a call with Ryan Dice from digital marketer. And he was like, yeah, like, this is not a good idea. You should sell. He's like, let me tell you a story. And he told me this, the story of the sports illustrated football phone. Do you, do you know, do you know what that is? Or, okay. So it's obviously a very American, American thing. I didn't know what it was either, but you can go on YouTube, find the video, the ads for this thing. And it's like, this like just disgusting looking football phone, like, you know, like old school, like phone that you put up, but it was like a huge hit in the eighties or whatever. And they, they, they promoted it. And then they said, you can't buy it. You can't buy the phone. And it's all like these like cuts to like people going like, what, you know, like fake, like surprise. And then it goes, but you can get it for free if you subscribe to Sports Illustrated. And I was like, and so, so I'm going to put up a tangent here, but I was like, okay, shit, like you are so right, Ryan. Like, so I spent that whole weekend just re, just re, just tweaking the offer. I basically collapsed 
the idea of the course, which I've been postponing and, and offered it with the community. I said, this is the community and you're going to get the course as well. And I pre, so we did like a, a, a live event and I sold about 40 seats in it as a pre-sale. And I was like, all right. And now, so now this is like two weeks ago, right? So now I'm like, I've just built the first module and I'm, so going back to your thing about like getting distilling yourself into a thing, I'm now so motivated to do that. I'm cranking out content all the time for these people, which actually to go back to what we were saying right at the beginning is so much easier than just putting it out into the abyss on Twitter. It's like these people have like given money and they want to learn from me. And and they all they signed up for was me. There's no content yet existing. So yeah, maybe that's a way to get prolific creator kickstarted. I, I've been thinking a lot about it actually because I've got the daily visual community, and, it, and and I've spoke to the people in there about this. There's a there's about twenty of us I think at the minute twenty twenty two, um, and the the community is seven bucks a month, um, and the whole idea behind it originally was people who are making visuals online daily get together in a Discord community. It used to be Slack, now it's Discord, obviously, um. <laughs> And it's not been feeling right for a while. It's not growing. I'm not that interested in just talking about visuals. It was okay for a while, but now mm. the NFT things come around and people are mixing and swirling around in other things. It feels like it needs to change. So my original plan with Daily Visual, because I saw this with the community, even with just 20 people, and we don't do that many things together, there's an office hours every week, or at least I try to have an office hours, even that's time consuming. And then there's, there's all the managing of the community. What I'm getting at is a lot of effort. So my original idea was right. The front end for the community is going to be a course. So I I was going to make a course just like you was describing, uh, Mm. self-paced course. And that would be the front end for the community. So you buy the course, you get access to the community. Uh, and, and I still kind of want to do that, but I don't want to do that course anymore. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe it should be a, the prolific creative community instead, and the front end of the community, which is currently the, you know the daily visual community. Maybe that's the way around. I need to do it because yeah. I've just noticed not just in myself, but a lot of other people too people aren't just interested in one kind of creative pursuit anymore. Mm. Things are moving so quickly on the net, not, not just, not just in NFTs, but even if you're just a a Twitter creator or, or whatever, and you've got aspirations to do that, look at somebody like David Perel. Now he's making images, he's making videos, he's making writing tweets. Um, He's even mm-hmm. doing his own kind of version of Atomic Essays. That, right, right. That you're kind of a multimedia powerhouse, an individual. Yeah. Nobody's Publishing. just in, yeah, 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 kind of a, a media organization or a publishing organization. Yeah. So that was the flip I'm I'm trying to make. But yeah, maybe it, that's it. Yeah, I, I I think I mean that sounds sounds like so it. it it just sounds like the right way to do it now that I've, I've taken this step. Cause the other cool thing about it is that you're not, you don't have to, the course isn't, it almost never has to be finished. Like, you know, people will join at various parts of its evolution and you can always add to it and sort of take it in different directions. And I actually think I was talking to KP about this, like, you know, the building public guy. And like, he was just like, 
I don't think anybody's really ever built a course in public, like the, like a full, like full on course. And I think it's such an interesting idea. You really got me fired up when I was talking to him because it's like, yeah, like I'm actually like just kind of lean into that that aspect of it and be like, this course might never be done, but it or like finished, you know. But it, it'll it'll always be evolving and always changing, and people can join whenever, and they're actually buying into the community. They're not buying like just a course. So it's so interesting, it, right? It, it is interesting. I was thinking about the same thing with the self-paced course because I wanted to sign people up for a monthly subscription. Hmm. So I was trying to think of ways to keep giving them uh, value. Um, <laughs> and, and the thing I was thinking was continuously adding things. So I add in each weekly office hours or adding new things that I'd seen. So the course would continue to expand and expand and evolve and change when new things came out or things got old. Uh, yeah. I, I was thinking of the, the same kind of thing. But the blocker for me again was, well, I need to put the core knowledge in there i need to have you know i need to have at least 24 lessons maybe it's split out over six six categories and you know just kind of the classic course i thought i need to just make the course at least first and then i can add the extra things on i yeah i I didn't have the i didn't have the balls to to make a start from nothing start yeah yeah so this is like it's crazy i actually didn't really think about how how different this is. And I think KP made me think of it now, this conversation, like you and I, like this is, I think this is a very interesting concept and and it gives you a lot of freedom, right? To be like, okay, well, I, I don't have to have anything to start. And, you know, you can pre-sell small amounts or whatever, but it won't, it won't make you a ton of money, but it will, but if you kind of adopt that mindset throughout, people just can join whenever and you'll, you'll get those few early supporters, but then you'll have people join a little bit later, a little bit later. And that thing will keep growing and, keep changing. And I mean, I, so one of the thoughts that comes to mind is that when I did the on deck program, you know, I joined them in January, we, they were like, let's get this thing out. Like let's announce this announce. So we did it. I think we announced it in January and then it was supposed to start in April. And I spent basically January through April selling the thing. And we, we made like $350,000. It was 150 people. Like it did so, so well. And then I started building it. Yeah. And like, <laughs> and it's sort of like, I probably wouldn't have done that if I'd not joined them and sort of like had gone, had to go into that sort of that accelerated version of it. But yeah, it turned out fine. I mean, it was nearly fucking killed me, but it was, um, it was an incredible forcing function to get all my thoughts out and ideas out and turned out to be successful. So, so I bet bet what you're thinking is how many of that 150 people could I have got if I would have started from zero and said, look, I'm working on this course for on deck Mm-hmm. jump in now there's nothing right now but i'm working on it we're going to build this cast together yeah how many of those 150 people could you have gotten the other way and how much better yeah. how much better would it have been as well totally totally i, I yeah I, the, this, i agree with you 99 but only one percent here is that there is something to be said for that sort of live melting pot of sort of like that you're at the coal face. You're like getting feedback instantly on what's working, what's not working. And so I learned a shitload during those eight weeks that is now like going into the, the sort of second iteration of it. So, 
so yeah, it's tough. I don't know. I don't know if I'd be able to, but I mean, I guess if you, if you're thinking of it as something that's constantly evolving, then you, you kind of have that freedom to change it and, 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 ex, and explore. I think overall the takeaway here that both of you and I are talking about is that you don't have to have a finished product to be able to sell it and to be able to actually start like, in fact, you should rather sell it and then start really making it and, and have that be part of what people are buying. Mm. Just gives you so much more flexibility. I, I, I love the idea because I kind of did it with Daily Visual. So when Daily Visual launched, I I, I had the idea of having a library of content, basically, you know, a library of tutorials and things like that. And I, I was literally building that from nothing as the course was going on. So I started with a couple of the YouTube videos I'd done. And then when I got mm-hmm. a question in the community, even if it was one person that asked it, I'd record a video and say, can I share this with everybody else? And that became content on the course. Um, mm-hmm. I guess it's it's a little bit of a different way of looking at it where the, the person who is involved in the community or the course or whatever you want to call it, when they want to digest the information, they kind of have to go hunting a little bit because the, the structure yeah. isn't as de- delineated, is it? You haven't curated the things from zero to a hundred. So when they come in, they've kind of got to search for the things that may or may not write the answer, uh, might be the answer yeah. for them. Um, but then the, then the other side of it that makes me think about it is, well, most of the most of the time anyway, and this is the thing I tried to do with Daily Visual and I spectacularly failed, I'll admit that, the, the whole thing of Daily Visual being a community at the beginning was and no tutorials was I didn't want to give anybody any tutorials because I didn't want to give them the excuse of not starting. So mm. the whole point was you pay me $7. Uh, actually, I think it's nine. You pay me $9, which is nothing. And mm. you're going to start making visuals from day one. And I'm not going to tell you how to do them. Mm. That was the initial idea. And then I rode back and needed some tutorials because people were just asking um, mm. it's finding the balance between getting people to do something and not just just you know gorge on all the information isn't it? it yeah but also your content was probably better because it was created for specific questions that people actually had like real people you know where yeah. a lot of when you start course creation it's sort of like well this is what i think people need because yeah, because I mean, you're just in your own echo chamber, but you had like actual questions from people. You created something, and then that became an asset for for others. Um, yes. I, I think you make a great point at the beginning of this. Though curation and organization are very valuable sort of services that you provide as, as a course creator, um, and it's probably something you can do a bit over time. But you definitely have to be thinking about that it's like, as you create it. Like, make it easy for people to find it. Start to build out a bit of a, a sort of curriculum of like what people you know it so that the cases to different starting points and that kind of thing but um yeah i think you have to be thinking about that Mm. yeah that's that's the difficulty particularly for me because i'm not particularly organized kind of person unless Mm. i'm working on a big project in the agency which forces me to be organized when it comes to anything that i do for myself i very much prefer jump jumping in two feet first and not organizing any of it so with mm. with all the visuals visuals i've been doing daily there's 900 and odd of them and i haven't cataloged any of them and now i'm trying to catalog them in reverse rather than doing it when i first did it 
it's, yeah. it, it, it's a it's a massive it, it's an effort it, it's a massive effort yeah. and, and that's the kind of thing i was that i've got in the back of my mind of this kind of live course idea you get 900 videos or lessons into it and you're trying to catalog it all and curate it and decide where it all goes how 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 do you even do that yeah yeah it's it's incredibly do it's difficult to do in in retrospect um i'm just like looking at the strewn out set of notes and stuff that i have yeah like a lot of it was planned out and even with the odcc one i had i had i started with something and I, I, maybe that's the lesson it's like have some framework in mind that you that's broad enough that you can sort of fit ideas into but but be flexible I, there was stuff that i when we were doing it live and you know week four or whatever i was like oh, i should have probably done this earlier or like this this is too advanced i should do this later and so you got to kind of have that that flexibility in mind as well but yeah it is it is hard it, it is and the thing that always stops me from doing a course this is the biggest blocker for me um it isn't doing the work to put the course together. I could get past that. It isn't even having the idea because, as we just discussed, I've got a pretty good idea. It's it's the fact that I can't rationalise how to make people do the course and get something valuable from it. I don't want to just make something that nobody uses. So that that's the biggest blocker for me because I, I don't want to be that person that's made the course that... 90% of people don't complete. So I, I'm still trying to work that out in my own head. That's the biggest blocker for yeah. me. I don't want to add so to the not, noise, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it, so it's not that you're not you're not concerned that you can't create transformations. You're you're concerned that people won't go through the steps necessary to create them. Yes. How do I yeah. force is probably the wrong word, but it's the one that I'll use. How do mm. I force somebody to get to the transformation that I know they will get if they go through the course. Yeah. So I'll give you one thing that I've seen work, which I tell everyone that I work with is in your course, have the, one of the first things you do and do it often from then onwards, um, opportunities for students to reflect on why they are doing the course, what does success, even visualizing what success looks like, that kind of stuff, just very personal reflection, which sometimes they might share if there's a community, but also just, just write it down and keep it because what, then there's like actually a bunch of research around this as well. But what, what you find is when people sort of verbalize or visualize or whatever, just put in writing their thoughts on what they want to get out of it, why they're doing it, that makes it more concrete. And it's sort of, that is their motivational, it's their intrinsic motivation that that keeps them going throughout it. And so then you actually, it relieves the pressure from you as the, as the course creator, because you're not giving them the reason they are giving themselves the reason. And then you give them the path. Hmm. Interesting. I've never really thought of it like that, but still then what is the percentage of people that actually go on and use something from the knowledge, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's, yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I mean, it feels like a, an easy answer maybe, but the thing is like how many people, how strong is that intrinsic motivation? Right. And, and can you, and you can't really control that as a creator. So if they signed up for it and it's not really that strong and they've got other priorities that are like taking them, then that's like, I, it's tough because part of me wants to be like, no, but I, I want to fight for the student and like get them through it. But 
yeah, it's hard because it's you can't force, right? Like like you like you like you're alluding to. You have to. Yeah, it has to really come from them. I've I've seen it I've seen it before, which I guess is why I've got a little bit of educator PS, PTSD from it, because I <laughs> I used to teach in formal education. I only did it once or twice a year, and I, I only got into it as a favor for a friend. And I used to teach web design in 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 person in a classroom, and uh, and it always used to piss me off when somebody just wouldn't pay attention or wouldn't use the knowledge that was getting given them because I knew, you know, it's still the same today. I'm, I'm, I'm talking, I, I started doing this like eight years ago or something like that, but mm. it's still the same today. You get into web design or design or any of those skills, you've got a skill for life, essentially, you know. Yeah. The, the world is your oyster. And it really used to annoy me when somebody was blatantly sat there not <laughs> not using the knowledge and I and I was in yeah. front of them, and I could look into their eyes. So when mm. when you got the cost, the whole cost situation, and you scale everything up, essentially, if be it a self paced cost or a cohort based cost, you've kind of got to let go of that personal connection a little bit, haven't you? Because with 150 people like your course, there's mm. no way no way you get into everybody, is there? No, no, no. That's where the the community then comes in. So if you've and, and the, the benefit of sharing some of those reflections with each other. So you get, uh, um, so, so there's like a couple of stages to this. So first of all, they have to connect and, and get to know each other. And so that's, I, I talk about it as like destination journey and then accountability groups. There's three groups. The so destination is like you, that's your set. This is what it means to be a prolific creator. And, and, you know, you set that journey for people or that destination for people. Then they find people that are in the same stage. So then some are people starting out, some might be a little bit more advanced and want to get into a different medium or channel. And, you know, so they like start to get a group like that. Then they get to know each other and then they, they form bonds. And some people are like, okay, well, we just don't gel, but like you and I do. And I'm to the point where I'm willing to share like why I'm doing this course. Like what is it, what is it I really want to get out of this? What, what is important to me is not even like what I want to get out of the course, what I want to get out of life, you know, like why, why am I here kind of thing. And that's when you then, if you're sharing that with someone, you're kind of making that accountability pact for them to say like, this is what this course I think is going to do for me. This is why I'm doing it. And, um, and so those sort of accountability groups, the smallest of those groups need to be organic. They need to be people that just gel, they get along and they, and they, they, they make that commitment to each other. And then you get, you get these sort of these pods you can think of like within your course that you as the creator don't always have to be the one who's like, you know, making sure that they're taking the action. But all of the, everything I just said is, is harder. It's easier said than done. Right. And yeah. it's like probably harder than actually creating the content. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the kind, the kind of thing I'm struggling with. I definitely wouldn't make a cohort based course. That is not even on my horizon because I know yeah after seeing Justin and the like amount of stress he was under, the amount of pressure he was under, there's just no way I want to pull that thread. No, no, yeah. no time soon. And like you said, yeah. it, it nearly killed you when you did it. And yeah. the, I think there were, there was 20 of us in, in his, um, I can imagine scaling that up to 150. It's an absolute fucking nightmare. Yeah. Uh, so that's, there's not even a thread I want to pull that at the minute. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think your model, you just described it earlier, like you do with your community with the, the office hours and that. So you've got, you've got some 
accessibility to people and and you should obviously charge a lot more for that because that's probably the most valuable thing people can get from you is access to you um but yeah and so you see you find the balance with that what does that look like is it a monthly office hours or weekly is it um yeah like are you are you recording like one of the things i'm this is a good example for people who have questions in my self-paced course and I got this idea from another creator. She's, she's a guru in making toys, like coming up with the idea and like creating a physical toy. And she has this thing where she has an, uh, um, a podcast that she does exclusive podcast for her audience where they get to ask questions you know, through some form. And then twice a month, she'll go through those questions and answer them and publish it as a podcast. And so people can like walk around twice a month and listening to, so they get to like hear what others are asking, which is, valuable in and of itself and then they get to hear her response and she's not you know dealing one-on-one she's sort of one-to-many with her response mm. that was a cool idea yeah, that that's a really cool idea actually i like that mm. what mm. do what do you think about disconnecting from a cause oh, my alexa uh, is talking to me <laughs> alexa what do you think about this stop <laughs> alexa stop <laughs> Um, what do you mean by disconnecting? Yeah, I didn't get a chance to finish it because Alexa, oh, I shouldn't say Alexa because she's interrupting. Um, yeah, you, you was kind of alluding to it a little bit there about access. This, this idea of access to, mm. to, to the, the teacher. And I've, I've seen this mentioned a few times. This is the thing that I feel the most guilty about that I, if, if you're in a community or you're running a community or even you make a course, I feel like you have to make yourself accessible to the students all of the time. Um, and I know, and I know that's a big no, no in, in a lot of kind of course, um, yeah. course fundamentals, I guess. I, I think it's, a, it's, a, I don't think it's a straight out. No, no. I think that's too binary. I think it's, it, you need to have a proper value of that time. So, for, for you, when you told me a $9 a month course and, and you do a weekly office hours, that feels like you're underselling the value of your time. Um, you may have 900 people spending nine bucks a month and that's worth it. But, you know, so you need to do the maths wherever you are if you're listening to us. But um, you've got to put a value on that time, right? And, and I think, and someone told me this as well as like, so this wasn't my idea, but made me think quite long and hard about this, is that if you are, you you're creating a perception um, of value as well, right? So you have to be thinking about that. So if it's like, if it's a handful of people, if you if you you know you can do the whole calculation. I mean, like, so if it's two hundred dollars for me to show up once a week on a call, like that's pretty low. Like that's probably not the kind of perception you want to be creating, and and shouldn't because you you've got you know the results to show for it. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's sort of that it's like really first, like, what is my time worth and what is the perception uh, and being just not what perception I want to create, but just being cognizant of the perception and then, and then valuing your, your access accordingly. So, so maybe there's a, t- a tiered version that has, uh, a weekly office hours and it's like, so Ali Abdal did this with his YouTuber thing where, um, I got into it cause I was helping him behind the scenes, but you had, there was like an executive membership that outside of all the other stuff where he, I mean, he was present, like felt like 40 hours a week, but outside of that, we met with this group of executive members, 20 bucks, 20 people. And they were paying like probably three or $4,000 more for the course for that access. 
Yeah. So it's, I thought that, I think that's the way to, to think about that. But how, how do you rationalize it with yourself when you, you kind of want to, and I, I, this is probably the place where a lot of people are. I, I'm making my new course. I want to get it out to as many people as possible. So I'm going to make the self-paced course I've made $50 because that seems to be the price that they all are on Gumroad. Um, mm-hmm. And then to make it really attractive, I do a weekly office hours and all that kind of thing. How how do you elevate it from the $50 Gumroad course to the like multiples of thousands that some of the on-deck courses are and some of the other stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Is it literally just uh, having so, the balls to just increase the price? <laughs> it, it, some of it is actually. Yeah. Uh, some of it hundred percent is that. And I, I, as we did this with on deck actually, so their standard thing was $2,000 and myself and Robbie both said, we want ours to be 3000 and they were like, oof, you know, this doesn't really, that's not really like our normal thing. And there's, you know, whatever. So we, we ended up, they were like, okay, cool. We're down for experiments. Let's give it a shot. And I sold 150 seats in that thing. So it's like, you know, so, so yeah, you don't know if you don't try it. So that's, that definitely one point. Someone told me that I just need to get to make sure I get this right. It's easier to lower your price than it is to raise it. Wait, yes. is that right? Yeah, that's right. I use that with my clients a lot. <laughs> you do? Okay. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So you can always like, you can always come down and, um, and, and discount it. Yeah, basically. Right. So yeah, it's just, you can just discount. So so it's like there's no massive downside to, to putting it up. Um, another thing I learned is that you should always have two options for people. So maybe you do have the $50 option, so you get as many people in as possible. Then you have a $500 option that also has the weekly office hours. Um, and, or it's like maybe the podcast thing, you know, so like there's some level, so it's, you know, you control that access. Um, and, and there you've got, you got people who are like, this was actually Nathan Barry from ConvertKit was saying like some people that's a rounding error and they're like, Oh, I mean 500 I might as well do the 500 one, but others might be like, I can't, I'll do the 50, but they're still going to get a ton of value in that 50 because they're, they're just missing out the, the live stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, but it's, there's no like formula for this. No, I, I was talking about it with, with Arvid Carl and Jamie Russo recently. Mm. And we were all just talking about how guilty we feel about pricing things. And it, it's it's totally strange because I run an agency and, you know, we, we would never even touch almost any project that is under multiples of thousands of pounds. Yeah. So I, I'm not unfamiliar with charging a lot of money for a project and, and sitting in a Zoom call like this and going, look, Andrew, this project is is X amount. You know, this is 20,000, this is 30,000, this is 50,000. And then hand, yeah. handling all the objections. But then when it comes to me personally, without the mm. agency around me, just Craig, I get all guilty about it. And that I, is I, weird, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It, it, it's strange. It is strange. Do you think do you think it's because you I don't know, maybe you you maybe you pitch into the same audience, but isn't isn't the agency focused on a B2B buyer? Yes. And I feel like that plays into it a bit as well. It's like, well, this it's not this person's wallet that the money's coming out of, right? That's that's where it changes the dynamic a little bit. I think also it's the fact that I haven't kind of proven myself as a creator, whatever that even means. You know, like mm. like me, like you, really, I've only been present online for a year, so I sometimes feel like I am new 
to the things that is necessary to be a creator. So I can't charge the prices that I potentially probably would. Um, But that is backed by 16 years of industry experience of being a designer. So Mm -hmm. it's it's weird. You feel like you have to just fit into the price point that everybody else does. So I obviously started with Gumroad like everybody else does. And I thought, well, I want to make this book. All the rest of the books are $39 or $20 or whatever. So it's going to have to be that price. Um, Mm -hmm. And all of my old stuff that's on Gumroad now is like $5 or something because I just, I feel like because it's old, I just don't want to charge a lot of money for it it's weird it is it is yeah. really strange i don't have an answer for it maybe the, maybe now after this co- this talk maybe i'll just put a huge price tag on it and then a lower price tag and a really low one yeah because the, the, yeah, the, I, the, the other phrase yeah. is sorry to interrupt i just want to say this no, 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 this, no. this one more thing it's slightly like what you just said about pricing the other thing i always say to clients is you never know how much money you're leaving on the table if you don't have a high price option yeah so exactly so always with the agency there'll be a really high price option yeah yeah because there's someone who's price insensitive and they'll be like oh yeah i want the best whatever you have yeah that's such a good point and i i just wanted to reiterate what you're saying because i i think you and i are so so similar i've also got about 16 years experience doing this in in a b2b setting and now been a year in this and i get told all the time andrew you need to raise your prices this is way too low you know, so one one thing I I, I tried, which which was which actually worked really well, and I got got like good feedback on it actually from people who ended up buying it was using, and I got this idea from Steph Smith, um, like the the raising tiers. Yeah. So there's like ten at like a hundred dollars, and then there's ten at two hundred, and da, da, da. now it's like at the course that I'm doing is now I think it's at five hundred. Um, but those first few tiers sold out super quickly because people are like. And they thought that was such a great idea because it, it just like spurred them to do it right away because they're like, oh yeah, it's a no-brainer. Um, so that's a nice way to try it. It gives you, you can also, you know, just like if you're not selling out of tier, you can just, that's your price <laughs> basically, right? Mm. And it doesn't yeah. feel, it doesn't feel fake either, does it? It feels genuine, yeah. even though it's, you know, it's a marketing tactic, but it doesn't feel, yeah. it doesn't feel fake. It doesn't feel fake scarcity again, even though it is. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You kind of like you're just doing it in public. You're like, I'm trying to figure out the price. See what people are willing to pay. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's yeah. Inter- it's interesting. It's it's all it's all strange. Do you have to go up? Yeah. And now on the um, I can stick around for a couple of minutes. Oh. oh okay. Well, we ended up talking check. about courses and things way more than I thought we would. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. That was fun. But I I, I I hope it's it's not reiterated all the same points you've said on every other bloody podcast you've done. It, it categorically is not because I, I think I actually would love a recording of this. I could listen to it again and sort of like a lot of lot of new ideas here. And you made me realize that this idea of it sounds like it's something that you might sort of lean into doing as well. Is this idea of sort of building a course in public and every element of it just creates just it's just a relief. You don't have to like have it all figured out to be able to like to be able to sell something it kind of it kind of fits perfectly for me for the prolific creative because the whole underlying fundamental of everything that i know that is in my core being is to do something every day or very regularly until some kind of signal comes out of it yeah exactly um so that that whole core idea of the flywheel and the the signal and making noise until signal appears 
it just fits perfectly for creating some kind of course around the idea of doing exactly that. It's uh, it's a meta, yeah. It's very meta. Yeah, it's it's a it's a meta course about a meta idea which could potentially <laughs> just keep going down another another five levels. Yeah. 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 I, I, I like this. I, I want to keep exploring this idea of a course that basically is never finished. It's like you're you're signing up, you're part of the membership, you can leave whenever you want, but you're always getting a new thing and it's always changing, it's always evolving. And yeah, I think that's so fascinating. Do you think there's appetite for people paying a monthly fee for a course instead of a one-off hit? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I had it with mine. So I had a, I had a, not many took up the monthly option because I actually made it back quite a lot of high. I wanted people to commit for the full 12 months. Um, but and actually with my monthly, you do need to spend the full 12 months. Like you do. And so I still need to figure out what happens if someone is like, I, I want out after six months, I'll probably just let them. But, um, but yeah, I'm like, you need to make the 12 month commitment. It's probably similar to yours, right? Like you can't just like, try this thing for 30 days and be like, Oh, it's not for me. It's like the whole point of this is that you develop a habits and you be consistent and you don't see results immediately. Um, so yeah, so, the, um, I definitely think so because, and actually this is the other like aspect of it. I think a, a course is not the idea of a course is not just a finite period of time, but like something that's, it's a way of life. It's a, it's a habit. It's a, the, the stuff they'd learn from you is something they can use throughout their life and would probably benefit from practicing within the community and getting the newest content, whatever your thoughts on it. So it's like a, it's like, it's truly is lifelong learning. Hmm. Well, the, the formal education really is, is just the flint, isn't it? It's just the flint yeah. ag- against the, the fire. Usually you're trying to light the fire in them and you just want to give them really the way i always looked at it even in formal education you want to give them as little as possible that is useful that they can actually implement so it fires their knowledge to go find crazy detail about uh, the the stuff because the truth is they don't need all the detail at first they need enough to fire them up to get them started i love that idea of giving them of defaulting to to less content that is part of, and most course creators struggle with that. Most cre- uh, yeah, course creators struggle with that because you feel like I need to tell them everything I know. I need to, I need to answer every question up front. And remember, like we talked about earlier, like it's, most people don't know what questions people actually have until you, you go through it. So just resisting that urge. I saw this with ODCC and I'm, I'm, I'm now applying that. Like it's such a, you, you do students a disservice by putting too much out there and it just confuses and overwhelms them and then they're not taking action like you said Mm. it's a little bit like the thing that jack butcher did with both of his courses they are very short and to the point Um, Mm -hmm. there isn't much in them it doesn't take long to to go through the courses but i think it's better for that because you can just instantly apply the things that you've learned it gives you the fundamentals no more than that and then Mm. you're off and away i think there's a lot of value to to be provided with with that, um, especially if there's a community as well on the back end to get them started. Mm-hmm. You uh, missed the beep there, by the way. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's because uh, it, in in my other podcast, which you'll probably never listen to, but I have a podcast called the Wednesday Audio, which is uh, 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 it's kind of a fever dream of a podcast, and I I, I take the piss out of. Uh, 
value and content and all all this kind of stuff. <laughs> well, now I'm going to listen to it. That's amazing. <laughs> L- listen, uh, listen at your own peril. That's that's what I'll say. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Well, I, I have. This... Sorry, go on. Yeah, so, no, so no, I hope this is what you were hoping to talk about today. No, it's, it. it's 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 been amazing. I'm I'm conscious of your time, so um, I think it's it's probably best best that we wrap up. But it wasn't what I expected, yeah. but that's the perfect thing for for these kind of conversations. Um, yeah, we didn't talk about the usual course shit, and I think there's yeah. there's still way more things I wanted to ask that we won't get time to go into, particularly about rite of passage that you mentioned at the beginning. I've got a lot of things I want to ask about that. So maybe we'll have to do, maybe we'll have to do a part two at some point, you know, you know, particularly one of the main questions you don't have to answer it now, but it feels like with rite of passage and some of the other bigger courses, all they are doing is pushing for more and more students. So where, where is the tipping point for that? And how, how do you keep the quality when the students keep going up? Surely there should be some cutoff point where you're like, this is enough students. I'm making enough money. Let's make it all about the quality of the course. So that you mm-hmm. know that that kind of idea. Um, oh, I yeah, I could go into that, <laughs> but I'm happy to wait for for a part two as well. I mean, this is I, honestly, I think this the stuff we talked about in this episode now, this this conversation now is pretty is pretty raw and unique and and interesting and, and not many people are talking about it certainly not doing it so i think there's something and i and sort of had that validated from you know the, the building public guy himself um so yeah i think i think this so this was a good one this is a really good conversation yeah i i, I appreciate that and you brought most mm-hmm. of the value sorry <laughs> uh, yeah yeah it's, it's been awesome man let's arrange let's arrange a part two and cool yeah whenever whenever you want and yeah just no credit to you for like the way this is the i've never had a conversation like this or i keep see i keep i don't even know what to call it a recording or a conversation because it, it is like an amalgamation of the two i don't even know we were recording <laughs> that's that's what i want that's what i want it doesn't feel yeah. like a podcast we've just had a conversation that yeah. it just happens to be published online. That's the whole purpose. Yeah. Purpose Brilliant. of it. Because the the whole the, the whole you know the whole thing the whole thing I was saying about the bet at the beginning. People want to feel like the third person in the room with a podcast, and unless yeah. unless it feels like two people having a genuine conversation, you can't possibly feel like the third person in the room. So that's yeah. that's the bet. That's the bet. Yeah. Do you do any editing to? No, no, I I, uh, I do minimal editing. The only editing I'll do is sometimes I'll I'll lift the levels. So if the guest is particularly quiet, I might lift mm-hmm. the levels. And I'll also put one of my favorite pieces onto the beginning of the podcast. That's literally the only editing I do. Until very recently, nice. I used to publish them live. So they were live streamed. They went out straight away. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not doing that at the minute, but everything else is the same. It's recorded as live, released as live. Um, awesome warts and all that's the whole that's awesome yeah 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 well let me know how i can help uh sort of promote it put it out there and i I had so much fun doing this all right thanks for having me craig see you around